pray you'd help us to be able to learn something, to gather something from it. And Father, uh, I pray that you'd meet with us and and, and that we could uh, just leave here a little edified or challenged or whatever it might be. Thank you for being good to us. In your precious name I pray. Amen. Alright, well we, if you notice there, the Acts chapter number 4 just really starts right where Acts 3 left off as far as the story is concerned. If you remember last week, Acts chapter number 3, um, we had the story there of the, of the impotent man being healed by, by Peter and John as they went into the temple. And um, Acts chapter number 4 uh, just continues on with that story. It's not a new story, anything starting up. And um, it's, it's the result of what happened there. If you look at verse number 1, the Bible says, And as they spake unto the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. Now when I was studying to read, uh, you know, I was reading the text through, uh, studying for the sermon tonight, one thing that popped out at me, and, and we'll see it in Acts chapter number 5 as well, but um, it says that the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. Now, if you've read your Bible cover to cover, and if you ever read through uh, the, the Old Testament there, and Exodus, and Leviticus, and Numbers, your army, um, you're, you're not going to find this the office of the captain of the temple. I mean, that's, that's, not, uh, that's not a priest office or a high priest office. That's not something that God... Um, you know, ordained as, as, as someone who should be, have authority there in the temple. But it seems like just through the process of time, they made up this person, this office, this title, the captain of the temple. And it kind of made me laugh because, you know, I, I've grown up in, in, in church my entire life. Uh, you know, in my whole life that I've been in church, I've been in churches and I've, we, I've always heard of churches, you know, and, and this is one thing that we will never do at Verity Baptist Church, but churches always have these made up titles for offices that are just not found in the Bible. And it's just funny to me because even back in the in the Bible times, they had this captain of the temple that you can't find a captain of the temple ordained by God. You can find a high priest, you can find priests, you can find different things of that sort, but you can't find a captain of the temple. But, you know, in, in the local New Testament church, God talks to us about a pastor and a deacon. But today, you go to the average church and they've got, you know, the secretary of this and the treasurer of that, and they've got the chairman of this committee and the chairman of that committee. And, you know, it's funny to me because none of those offices are found in the Bible at all. And at Verity Baptist Church, we will never have just a made-up captain of the temple type office. We're just going to stick with the Bible and just have a pastor and a deacon. Because that's what the Bible says. And, you know, it's just funny to me because, you, you know, you look at it and you think, captain of the temple, what is that? And you, if you try to look it up and study it out, you're not going to find it. You'll find it in Acts chapter number 4. You'll find it in Acts chapter number 5. And that's it. Because it's just completely made up, you know, and it, you know, it just kind of popped out at me. And sometimes you read things and you think, oh, a captain of the temple. But that's, that's not an office that God ordained. It's just made up. It's, it doesn't exist, and it, they shouldn't have had that. But anyway, the Bible says, and as they spake unto the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. And if you look at verse number 2, being grieved. Now these people, they were grieved that they taught the people... And preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Now you got to ask yourself this question. Why are they grieved that they're preaching through Jesus? Or they're taking Jesus as an opportunity to preach the resurrection of the dead? You know, why is that something that upset them? Well, to really understand that, you got to understand who the high priest was. And who was the clique that the high priest was hanging around with. And what they believed. I'd like you to just take your Bible real quickly. And go with me to Acts chapter number 5. And look at verse number 17. Just the very next chapter. Acts chapter number 5. Look at verse number 17. 
find something. You saw there in verse 1 that the Bible says the priest, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees. If you look at Acts 5.17, the Bible says, And the high priest rose up, and all they that were with him, and notice what it says in parentheses, which is the sect of the, Sadduce- of the Sadducees, and were filled with indignation. So you see there that the priest and all they that were with him, his little posse or his little clique, his little group that happened to, to be with him, they were of the sect of the Sadducees. Now in the Bible, you've got the Pharisees and you've got the Sadducees, and this high priest happened to be you know, in the club of the Sadducees. Now you may be asking yourself, well, what's a Sadducee? Well, obviously we could you know, just pick up a book and open it up and have somebody teach us what they think a Sadducee is, or we could just look at the Bible and have the Bible teach us. You know, the Bible uh, is its own dictionary. If you would just allow the Bible to explain to you what different words mean, it will. And uh, go with me to Acts chapter number 23. Look at verse number 8. And we will see what the Bible teaches us about a Sadducee. Because if you see what a Sadducee is, you'll see why they're so upset. In Acts chapter number 23, and we could have gone to different references in the Bible, but I chose the one in Acts since we're in the book of Acts. But if you look at Acts chapter number 23, look at verse number 8. Acts 23, 8, the Bible says, For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, neither angel nor spirit, but the Pharisees confess both. So you see there, in one verse, in Acts, you know, you, you do one, one word search, Sadducees, in the Bible. And the Bible plainly tells us what a Sadducee is. And it tells us what the problem, the difference between a Sadducee and a Pharisee was. The Sadducees say there is no resurrection, so they don't believe that there is a resurrection. They don't believe in angels. They don't believe in spirits. But the Pharisees confess both. They, they believe that there's a resurrection. They believe in angels. They, you know, and, and you should really learn from the Bible that you don't have to you know, pick up these extra biblical books to, oh, well, what's a, I got to take a Bible college class to figure out what a Sadducee Just read your Bible. And the Bible will often explain to us what these things are. I mean, it's very clear there for this. The, for the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection. So now we understand, going back to the story, why is the high priest and the priest, and why are they so upset that they're preaching the resurrection? Why? Because Sadducees don't believe in the resurrection. They don't preach the resurrection, so they don't want them preaching that Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead, and that we will one day be resurrected through Jesus Christ, um, you know, accepting Him as our Savior. So that's why they're upset there. Look at verse number 3, in Acts chapter number 4, verse 3. And they laid hands on them. And put them in hold until the next day, for it was now eventide. Now no, notice, they, uh, they, they, they put them in hold, so they imprisoned them for, for an evening. It says eventide. You know, just another example. When I read eventide, I, I, I looked at the context and I thought to myself, well, I can probably figure out what the word eventide means, but I'd like to know exactly what it means. So I didn't really run to a dictionary. I just looked up every time the Bible used the word eventide. And guess what I found? About five references, and it made it perfectly clear. Eventide is evening. And obviously we could have done that without it, but I'm just trying to show you that the Bible honestly is its own dictionary. And God made a perfect Bible that will, uh, God doesn't, He, he will define Himself. And, um, and, and the, there's a beauty there. And, and I'm making a big deal about it because we'll get into it in a little while about studying the Bible here in this, in this chapter. But, um, uh, you know, they, they put them, I want you to take notice, they put them in prison because it was the evening. So they captured them. They're like, oh, it's time for, you know, it's time to go home. So they just throw them in prison. And look at verse number four. How be it, 
Many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of the men was about 5,000. And it came to pass on the morrow that the rulers and elders and scribes and Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and as many as were of the kindred of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. So they locked them up for that night and then they get them the next morning. Look at verse number 7. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked them, By what power or by what name have you done this? Now, Look at what Peter says in verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, You rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole? Now you got to understand, Peter just spent the night in prison. I mean, that's not a common... I mean, you know, when's the last time anybody... You know, I've, I've never spent a night in prison. And I'm sure Peter, you know, these guys grab him, they throw him in prison... He's probably thinking they're going to come and tell him what he's being charged for. They're going to come and tell him what the problem is. But they decided, well, it's time to clock out. It's time to go home. And they just left him there for the night. And then the next day, they bring him out. And, and he's just kind of surprised. Wait, you threw me in jail because we healed a man? I mean, he's saying, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he was made whole? You know, and it's, um, you know, it, it's so typical of the world to be upset. And, and this happened to Jesus. We saw it in John when he healed uh, the, the, the same story. Uh, a man who had been uh, lame for, for, for a long time there. And the, the priest, and they got mad at him and stuff. But they, it's so typical of the world. When someone gets saved, or someone's life gets changed, or someone's life changes for the better, you know, the world will often look at that and they'll just be negative about it. You know, if I, I, I've heard this my entire life. I remember when my wife got saved, she started getting right with God, and then, and I I remember I told my wife this is going to happen because I'd seen it, you know, my, my brother-in-law, he got saved and the same thing happened with him. He started getting right with God. He started changing things and I'd seen it my entire life. People who, you know, got saved at an, old, at a, at an older age, they, they get saved, they start going to church, they start reading the Bible, things start happening in their life, they start changing and here's the number one thing I've always heard my entire life. Their family will say, are you in some sort of a cult? Because they go to church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I mean, they... they, they they equate you to like following, you know, a murderer that's going to have you kill people because you're going to church. You know, because she started dressing like a young lady. Because my wife threw out all her pants so she wouldn't look like a man. And, you know, Bob skirts is trying to render modest. And then her family says, are you in some sort of a cult? You know, do we need to get you some shrink? You know, but it's just so typical of the world. These people, you think they'd be excited that this man got, you know, healed and he can walk now. But instead they throw Peter and John in prison. And they're mad about it. And they're asking him about it. And if you look at verse 10, it says, Be it known unto you all, and to all the people of Israel. But notice, I, I like Peter because the Bible says he was filled with the Holy Ghost. He didn't back off. He didn't get scared. He said, Be it known to you all, and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified. He made it clear in Acts chapter number 3, when he was preaching to, uh, I'm sorry, Acts chapter number 2, when he was preaching to the Jews there. But now he's making it clear again. He says, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you hold. He said, if you're going to throw me in prison about this, healing this man, then I'm going to make it real clear. He was healed by the power of Jesus Christ, by the way, who you crucified. And I like that about uh, Peter. He didn't back off there. He didn't mince words. Uh, but look at verse number 11. I really want to focus in on verse number 11. And I hope we can get past verse 11 tonight. If we don't, I apologize. We'll finish the chapter next week. But in, in Acts 4.11, Peter makes the statement. He says, this is the stone, we're talking about Jesus Christ, which was set at naught of you builders, 
which has become the head of the corner. Now this, uh, this phrase here is quoted multiple times through the scripture. It's found in the Old Testament. And um, there's a lot to be taught in regards to it. And I'd like to show you a few things about that. Go with me please to Matthew chapter number 21. Uh, just so we can see Jesus Christ talking about it. And we'll see it in the context that Jesus spoke. Matthew 21. If you look at verse number 28. Matthew chapter number 21. And look at verse number 28. Now to really understand uh, what Jesus is trying to teach about it. We've got to read the... The, the parable before he makes the statement. Jesus uh, is teaching a parable and then he makes a statement at all. It'll, it'll make sense to you here in a little bit. But look at Matthew chapter number 21 and verse 28. Matthew 21, 28. Jesus is speaking. He says, But what think ye? And he begins to tell them a parable. He says, A certain man had two sons. I'm sorry, that's not the right. Uh, let's see. Hmm, that is not the right. No, that is, let's see. Look at verse 33. I started off a little higher than that. Verse 33. Matthew 21, 33. He says, Hear another parable. There was a certain householder which planted a vineyard and hedged it round about and digged a wine press in it and built a tower and let it out to husbandmen and went into a far country. And when the time of the fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the husbandmen that they might receive the fruits of it. And the husbandmen took his servants and beat one and killed another and stoned another. Again he sent another servant, more than the first, and they, and they did unto them likewise. But last of all, he sent unto them his son, saying, They will reverence my son. But when the husbandmen saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and let us seize on his inheritance. And they caught him, and cast him out of the vineyard, and slew him. When the Lord therefore of the vineyard cometh, what shall he do unto these husbandmen? They say unto him, He will miserably destroy those wicked men, and will let out his vineyard unto other husbandmen, which shall render him the fruits in their season. Now, you got to understand, he just told a story about people who he blessed, people who he gave an opportunity for, to people who he gave a job to, and they, uh, you know, just mistreated his uh, servants, and they actually killed his son, you know, as the story he's telling. And he's asking these Pharisees, what, what, am I, what should this man do? And they said, well, he should, you know, miserably destroy those wicked men. And they, and they themselves said it, and let out his vineyard unto other husbandmen. And look at verse 42, Jesus said unto them, Did ye never read the scripture? The stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. The Bible says in John 1.11, you don't have to turn there, but it says, He came unto His own, and His own received Him not. And what Jesus was trying to teach in that parable is this, because the, 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 the picture of the stone which the builders rejected is now become the head of the corner. The analogy there is that there, were, there was men building a building. And, you know, in those days they would build buildings out of stone, you know, or whatever. And there was a stone there, and for whatever, build, for whatever reason, the builders of the building rejected that stone, and they didn't want to use that stone, but that stone has now become the head of the corner. A picture of Jesus Christ. Often Jesus Christ is referred to as uh, the rock, or the stone, or something like that. So he's giving the illustration, the same illustration about the husbandmen, how he sent them his servants, sent them his servants, sent them his servants, eventually he sent his son, and they killed his son, and they rejected his son, 
And, he, and, and after he gives this illustration, he says, you know, did you never hear, did you never read the scriptures, the stone which the builders rejected? The same has become the head of the corner. Uh, look, at, uh, look at verse number 43. He says, therefore, he says, because of the statements I just made, because of the parable I just told, because of the statement I made, he said, therefore, say I unto thee, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you, talking to the Jews, talking to the Pharisees, and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof, and whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken, but on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. And when the chief priests and Pharisees had heard this parable, they perceived that he spake of them. So you see there, that Jesus asked them, what should this man do? And they said, well he should miserably destroy them, and give the vineyard to other husbandmen. And Jesus said, you're right. He said, therefore, I say unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to another nation. Now, you say, what does that have to do with, with the, the stone which the builders rejected? Well, that's, that's the quote that he gave there in Matthew 21. But let me show you another illustration of that. If you look at 1 Peter in your, in your New Testament there. 1 Peter chapter number 2, towards the end of the New Testament. 1 Peter. Because this is a very well-known uh, quote there. And it's quoted in different ways, but... Meaning the same thing, the stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner. We saw there when Jesus was talking about it, He was talking about the fact that because you rejected the stone, I'm going to reject you. Because you rejected Jesus Christ, I'm going to take the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation bringing forth the fruits thereof, is what Jesus said. Now if you look at First Peter chapter number 2, look at verse number 4. First Peter chapter number 2 and verse 4. The Bible says, To whom coming... As unto a living stone. That's what we're talking about. Disallowed indeed of men. So he says there's this living stone that was disallowed. It was not allowed. It was rejected indeed of men. But chosen of God and precious. And look at verse number 5. Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house. Now, who is Peter talking to in 1 Peter? Well, to find that answer, uh, go to uh, chapter number 1 and look at verse number 1. Peter, uh, 1 Peter chapter number 1 and verse 1, and we'll see who Peter's talking about, or talking to in this, in this uh, epistle here. 1 Peter 1, 1 says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, look, notice what he says, to the strangers... I want you to take note of that word strangers, scattered through Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, uh, Bithynia. Now some of those may not sound very familiar to you, but, but some of them should. Galatia and Asia. You know, does that sound like somewhere in Israel? No. Who, when Peter wrote the epistle of 1 Peter, he wrote it to Gentiles. He said to the strangers scattered through Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and so forth. Now that word strangers there comes from the same root word as the Spanish word extranjeros. I don't know, if, 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 I know, Daryl, you dabble in Spanish a little bit. Have you ever heard the word extranjero before? Does that sound familiar at all? Well, it comes from the same root word. You might be able to hear the similarities between stranger and extranjero. Well, the word extranjero is, our, the English word for the word extranjero is foreigner. The word strangers there is talking about a foreigner. 
like someone who's foreign, you know, who's uh, strange. Not necessarily talking about someone who's weird, but just someone from another country or another nation. So Peter is saying there, an apostle Jesus Christ, and he's saying, I'm writing this to the strangers, to the foreigners scattered throughout, and he names off these different, uh, you know, areas that are uh, where Gentiles would live. Now go back to 1 Peter 2.5. I want you to see that because when he says, ye also, I want you to see that he's talking to Gentiles. Believers in Jesus Christ. But he's not referencing any uh, Jews or anything like that. He says, Ye also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up... Now, I mean, that's kind of odd. Saying of Gentiles that you'd be a holy priesthood. He says, To offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Look at verse number 6. Wherefore, also it is con- uh, contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Sion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you, therefore, which believe, notice what he's saying, he's saying, to you that believe, he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, the people who disallowed him, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. And a stone of stumbling, I want you to make note of that word there, because we'll see that in a little bit, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. Look at verse 9. But ye, talking to Gentiles, are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation. Notice he calls them a nation. A peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in times past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. You know, Christians today have this idea, by and large, people have this belief that the Jews are God's chosen people. And the Jews, no matter what they do, they can crucify Jesus Christ, they can, you know, uh, they, they can persecute Paul, they can persecute the New Testament church, they can deny Jesus Christ to this day, they can deny Jesus Christ and people just give them a pass and say, oh, well, the, the Jews are God's chosen people, they can do no wrong, they're, it's going to be fine, they're, always, they're just going to be saved, they're just going to automatically be saved, God's some sort of a Calvinist, and He's just going to grant them all salvation or something like that. But you see there, it's very clear in the Bible that because He was disallowed of them, because He was rejected of them, the Bible says in the context that Jesus was teaching it, He said, I'm going to take the kingdom from your nation and I'm going to give it to another nation. And then in First Peter, when you study spiritual with spiritual, it becomes really clear, because we're talking about the same subject, the stone which the builders rejected. He said, I found a new people. He said, I found a new uh, group of people that were in times past not a people. He said, but now I've made them, you know, uh, and he used that, that one verse there, he said, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, an holy nation, a peculiar people. So we see there, very clear from the scriptures, that uh, the, the stone, and, and, and it says there, I want you to see this, in verse 4 of 1 Peter 2, is that to whom coming as unto a, a living stone that is allowed indeed of men but chosen of God he said ye also as lively stones so he said that he made us lively stones are built up a spiritual house so about, when it's talking about the stones that the builder rejected that the, that the builder rejected is now become the head of the corner it's saying that we 
As New Testament believers are making up that building, and Jesus Christ is the head of that corner. Well, guess what? The Bible says that we as New Testament believers are the body of Jesus Christ and that Jesus is our head. And here it's, it's equating us to a building and he's the head cornerstone. You know, the best way, I heard somebody illustrate this. I, I don't know that this is what God meant, but it's a good way to think about it. You know, think of the uh, building as a, uh, the way of a pyramid where the top cornerstone, that would be Jesus Christ. And the point that he's saying is, the point that I'm trying to make to you, is that today the Jews have been rejected. I'm not saying they can get saved if they believe on Jesus Christ, just like anybody can get saved if they believe on Jesus Christ. But you cannot just give the Jews a pass and say, because they happen to have been, uh, you know, born of the same flesh as like Abraham, that they all, you know, they're just God-chosen people. Because guess what? Ishmael was born of Abraham. And he's not considered God's chosen people. And if you look down at 1 Peter 2.10, it says, Which in times past were not a people, but are now the people of God. So who, according to 1 Peter 2.10, are the people of God? The strangers, which were scattered about. You know, and then he gave all those uh, in Gentile cities there. So do I believe that today, today, the Jews are God's chosen people? No. Not in the slightest bit. Who are God's chosen people? New Testament believers in Jesus Christ. Whether Jew or Gentile. In uh, Ephesians chapter number 2, let me read for you this verse, but go with me to Romans chapter number 9, just so I could prove to you this uh, even further, because I know this is kind of a sensitive issue with most Christians, so whenever I talk about this, I've got to really prove it from the Bible. But uh, go, go, to, uh, go to Romans chapter number 9, but let me read for you Ephesians chapter number 2, and look at verse number 19. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 19, the Bible says, Now therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints, and of the household of God. So the Bible says that God took us from being strangers and foreigners. You saw there how God used those two words? Are you starting to see how the Bible is its own dictionary? He said, what does the word stranger mean? Well, if you look at Ephesians 2.19, he uses them side by side. He says, strangers and foreigners. He's trying to make a point. He says, now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints of the household of God. So he says that we became fellow citizens when He made us a holy nation. But uh, you're there in, the, uh, in Romans 9. Well, let me keep reading for you from Ephesians. And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophet Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord in whom ye also are builded up together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. Have you noticed how throughout the entire New Testament whenever it talks about Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone it also talks about the Jews being rejected and the Gentiles being made, you know, fellow citizens and uh, brought into the house of God. Look at Romans chapter number 9, look at verse number 30. Romans 9.30. It says, What shall we say then? That the Gentiles which followed not after righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness which is of faith. But Israel which followed after the law of righteousness have not attained to the law of righteousness. Wherefore, because they sought it not by faith, but as it were by the works of the law, for they stumbled at the stumbling stone. You see, isn't it amazing how the Bible, I mean, every time you look up the word stumbling stone, you look up the word rock of offense, you look up the word chief cornerstone or cornerstone, the stones, and it's always, it's somehow talking about the relationship between the Jews and the Gentiles. You know, if we were to just study our Bibles, all these things would make sense, because, I mean, you can't get away from it. 
Every time you look it up, it's, it's talking about the same thing. He says, but, um, he says, Wherefore, because they started not by faith, but as it were by the works of the law, they stumbled at the stumbling stone as it was written. Behold, I lay in sign a stumbling stone and rock of offense, and whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Look at verse number 1 of Romans chapter number 10. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have the zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness, and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to every one that believeth. For Moses describeth the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which doeth these things shall live by them. But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise, Say, not in thine heart, who shall ascend into heaven? That is, to bring Christ down um, from above. Look at verse 8. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth, and in thy heart, that in the word of faith which we preach, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon Him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I just want you to see that. We can go back to Acts chapter number 4. But I just want you to see that. Don't fall for this trap that the Jews... God, look, God is not a Calvinist who's just going to give the Jews a free pass. And, and just... I mean, I've literally heard people say, because the Bible says in Romans 9, that, that all Israel shall be saved. And really, see, God is just going to save all Israel. No matter if they reject Jesus Christ, no matter if they don't, you know, accept Him as a Messiah, He's just going to save them all. Well, look, God's not a Calvinist. And the Bible says that God is not a respecter of persons. The Bible says that there is no difference between Jew or Gentile. And um, be, they had their chance, and they still have a chance. They can still be saved. But the blessing has definitely been taken away from that nation and given to another nation, bringing the fruits there. You know, and, and the Bible says that that's, that's the Gentile nation because, you know, by and large, Gentiles have been the ones that have taken forth the gospel of Jesus Christ, like America, like England. Gentile nations, not the Jews. I mean, Jews aren't predominantly sending out the missionaries to evangelize the world in, in 2011. We, America sending missionaries to Israel to try to get them saved. You know, so, so that's, that's what the Bible is teaching there in regards to, to that. But look at verse number 12. Acts chapter number 4 and verse number 12. We'll try to uh, run through the rest of this uh, chapter as quickly as possible. It says, Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. The Bible makes it very clear there. There is no salvation. Outside of the name of Jesus Christ. Because that's the context that we're talking about. He's talking about Jesus Christ. He says, Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. In John 14, 6, you don't have to turn there. Jesus said, the Bible says in John 14, 6, Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And you know, what we got to understand about God is that God is not a God of the gray area. God is a God of absolutes. God makes statements and, and that is it. There is no gray area. There's no wiggle worm. God just works in, in, the, in the mindset of, of right and wrong, black and white, day and night. There's no gray area with Him. There's no, well, what if this? And you know, I've often been asked this uh, uh, hypothetical question. Well, what about in some far distant, you know, 
wherever, you know, I, I think I've told this story before, but I'll tell it again just because it's funny. I remember I, I was born in Venezuela when I was, you know, when I was four years old. <laughs> I was born in Venezuela when I was four years old. We, we moved to the United States. And um, when I was about maybe 13 or 14, my uh, aunt and her two sons, my cousins, came to visit. And uh, I remember my, my cousin, he was about, I don't know how old, I was maybe like four. 13, 14, I don't know. He was maybe two years older than me. But he, he'd been here for maybe like two weeks from Venezuela. And I remember we were out soul winning one day, him and I. Uh, we Our church had like teenage soul winning or something. I remember we knocked on the door. And I was giving the gospel to some lady, an older lady. And I was giving the gospel, you know, just telling her what I say. And she said to me, this is what she said to me. She said, you know, that sounds good. I saw the scriptures. I, she said, but I can't believe that. And I asked her, well, why? Why? What's stopping you from believing? She's like, if I believe that salvation came only through Jesus Christ, then what's going to happen to all these people who have never heard the name of Jesus? And she said, and this is what she said. It is a true story. I'm not lying to you. She said to me, what about, you know, in just some country, some, like in the jungles of, of Amazon in Venezuela, those people that have never heard the name of Jesus Christ, how, how are they going to get saved? And I remember I kind of laughed at them. I said, well, you know, actually, I was born in Venezuela. And my cousin just got here from Venezuela two weeks ago. And we're knocking on your door trying to get you saved, you know. And the truth of the matter is that people have, you know, they, they have this hypothetical, you know, well, what about this? Well, you know, I'm not all that convinced that there's that many hypotheticals anyway. But even if someone lives in the hypothetical, and, you know, people, I've heard people say this on my life. If someone's never heard the name of Jesus, but they just believe, you, you know, that there's a God out there, that they're going to get saved. Well, that's not true. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Salvation comes through Jesus Christ. There's no other way. The Bible says in the book of James that the devils believe in God and tremble. But are they saved just because they simply believe in God? You must get saved through Jesus Christ. And if there are people out there who have never heard of Jesus Christ, instead of trying to come up with some weird misleading doctrine to try to justify the fact that they're not going to go to hell because they never heard about Jesus. Instead of whining and complaining about it, why don't we just go out and get, reach those people? Why don't we just go out, why don't we just send those missionaries out to preach that? Why don't we go out and knock on every door and get those people saved? And you know, I'm convinced about this, and I, I love missionaries, I believe in mission work and all that, but I think if in America we would do our jobs here, you know, America, in America there are so many foreigners I mean, there's so many people from different countries. You could knock on someone's door and get a Chinese person saved in America that you'd never be able to get saved in their country. But you know, we get them saved, and guess what? They're going to be able to influence people back home. We get people saved here from Mexico and India and other countries, and we're going to be able to influence people in other countries and their family members, and they're going to be able to talk to them and get them saved. And we could get it done if we preach the gospel. But instead, people want to be lazy and stand back and just make up some excuse as to why they're not going to go. Look, if I believe that people would go to heaven if they never believed on Jesus Christ, I'd never talk about Jesus Christ to anybody. Because why take the chance of them dying and going to hell? But that's not true. The Bible says, neither is there salvation in any of them. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Salvation comes only through Jesus Christ. And, you know, that's it. And we should go get those people saved who have never heard of Jesus. But look at verse number 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled, and they took knowledge of them, that they had been with Jesus. You know, it's interesting to me because this is one of my favorite verses. Because the Bible says, they, they, they saw Peter and John, and they perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men. Now, you got to understand this. P- 
Peter and John just spent three and a half years with God on earth. Do you think they were unlearned and ignorant men? I mean, they were probably very wise people. They just heard God in the flesh speaking and talking and training them for three and a half years. But these people are looking at them because Peter and John didn't happen to go to their school. Peter and John didn't happen to have the clothes that they had. You know, they probably saw the way they carried themselves. They probably saw the way they preached. They probably saw the way they did things. They probably saw the way they were dressed. And they, they perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men. And, and, and they marveled at them. And they took knowledge that they had been with Jesus. But you know, uh, we, I believe that we as Christians often put too much emphasis on formal training. You know, having to go to this school or this college or whatever. And you know, the truth of the matter is that there, you know, in the Bible, if you look at the people in the Bible, you look at the disciples. Did they go to Bible college? Did they get some sort of formal training? They were just trained by Jesus Christ. You look at John the Baptist, the Bible says that he went into the wilderness till the time of his showing. And in that wilderness, he was spending time with God, and he was increasing with God, and he was getting the power of God, he was learning the Bible, and then he came out and preached and had multitudes saved. You look at Paul when he got saved, the first thing he did before he went to Jerusalem, and he spent three years in the deserts of Arabia... You say, well, Paul was formally trained. He, he went through all the college. He went, but the first thing you have to do is just get along with God. You know, and, and, and in the Bible, you just aren't going to find the concept of a Bible college. But you're going to find Paul training Timothy. You're going to find Paul training Titus. You're going to find, you know, pastors training other pastors. Preachers begetting other preachers. And that's what the Bible says. But these people were looking because they didn't have their Bible college degree. And they said, you know, they're unlearned and they're ignorant. But they knew this. They've been with Jesus. And that's a, that's a good thing, you know. And, the, the, you know, often, sometimes, church members who maybe just get saved later in life or, or just didn't ever went to Bible college, never felt the calling of going to, to, to be preachers or whatever, so they just went to work. And so many times I talk to people and they just think that because they never went to Bible college, never had formal training, that they just can't understand the Bible, they can't get the Bible. But look, the Bible is available to each and every one of us. The Holy Spirit is available to each and every one of us. And you don't need formal training to be able to understand the Bible. You just need a King James Bible and the Holy Spirit of God. Let me read for you some verses. John 14, 26 says this, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, He shall teach you all things, and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. John 16, 13 says, Howbeit, when He, the Spirit of truth, is come, He will guide you into all truth, for He shall not speak of Himself. But whatsoever He shall hear, that shall He speak, and He will show you things to come. 1 John 2, 27 says this, But the anointing, Talking about the Holy Spirit, which ye have received of Him abideth in you, and ye need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teacheth you all things, and is truth, and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in Him. I'm telling you that any Christian could pick up a King James Bible, read it, and have the Holy Spirit teach you the Bible. He said, do I, do, I need, do I need to go to Bible college? Do I need to take a course? Do I need to read a book? Do I need to, no, just get away. Just turn the television off. Just turn the radio off. Just you know, shut down the computer. Just get along with God. Get in the wilderness. Get with the Bible. And I promise you, you'll learn the Bible. You might have to read it a few times. And after you read it a few times, you might, you know, you'll never learn it all. I mean, we're always constantly learning something out of the Bible. But you don't need to have, you know, don't let people... I, I remember, I made a mistake... When I first started the church, um, someone tricked me. <laughs> Not really, but, you know, they had me go to this preacher's meeting. Because I was a preacher now. I was a pastor, you know. So I went to this pastor's meeting. I'll never go back. But um, I went to this pastor's meeting. And, you know, I show up and, I mean, look at me. I, you know, I, 
and there's all these older people there, and whatever. And you know, people were saying, "Oh, you know, you just started a church, whatever." And I remember it was amazing to me because the number, the first question that everyone asked me, they shake my hand. What Bible college did you go to? You know, and the whole time, I mean, 15 times I had to explain to people, I know about Bible college. You know, and then they kind of just, they don't say anything, but they kind of like, oh, you know, he's a guy who didn't go to Bible college. You know, but it's like, good night. I mean, I've got the Holy Spirit of God. You know, you say, well, oh, well how, how are you going to learn prophecy without uh, learning, you know, how are you going to preach a sermon about, you know, well, guess what? Guess what I do when I, when I preach a sermon about prophecy? Guess what I do? I read the book of Revelation. Read the book of Daniel. Memorize the book of Revelation a little bit. You know, I read the Bible. I study scripture. I compare spiritual things to spiritual. And guess what? The Holy Spirit teaches you. So don't let people just, you know, intimidate you with this idea that, oh, you're not learning. You know, that's what they said to them. But they were definitely, I mean, the Sadducees don't even believe in the resurrection. They don't even believe in the, I mean, were people resurrected in the Old Testament? Yes, they were. Were, were there angels in the Old Testament? Yes, they were. But the, they don't even believe that, you know, so who's really ignorant? But, um, look at verse 14. we got a few more minutes. And beholding the man which was healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. You know, I like that. The guy gets healed, and we saw that last week, he went with them in the temple, they get thrown in prison, and they come and they're standing before, you know, these people, and he's just right there with them. And I like that. You know, he got healed, the, the spiritual application there is he got saved, and he stuck with them. Look at verse 15. But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? For that indeed a notable miracle has been done by them. Is man, uh, you know, let's give some of this. I want to get to one point, and then we'll, we'll finish up. Um, uh, let's see. Drop down to verse number 30-something. Because I'm going to have to skip a lot of this. Look at verse 21. Let's do this quickly. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding nothing how, my, how they might punish them. Because of the people, for all men glorified God for that which was done. For the man was about 40 years old, of whom this miracle of the healing was shown. So you see they're, they're threatening them. They're saying, don't do this anymore. We don't, we don't want you to preach about Jesus anymore. We don't want you to do it. Look at verse 23. And being let go, they went to their own company. So Peter and John, they go back to their, to their people. And reported all things that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. And when they heard that, because you know we, didn't, we skipped over it, but we read it at the beginning. That they're threatening them. They're telling them, don't preach about Jesus anymore. We don't want you to spread this anymore. And the Bible says in verse 24, and when they had heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord. So what do they begin to do? They begin to pray. And said, Lord, thou art God, which hath made heaven and earth, and the sea, and all that in them is. And by I'm out, and they're praying there. But drop down to verse number 29. I apologize for going through this quickly, but I just want to show you this. He says, and now, Lord, behold, their threatenings, and grant, notice what they're, they're praying to God. They said, God, behold, they're threatening. They're threatening us. They're trying to intimidate us. They're saying we're unlearned and ignorant and dumb. And notice what they're, when they're praying, they said, And grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. So they're praying to God, God, give us boldness. By stretching forth thy hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus. And when they had prayed, notice what it says, when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. You see that? They pray for boldness, they get filled with the Spirit of God, and then the Bible says they were filled with the Spirit of God, and they, and they spake the word of God with boldness. But in Acts 14, 13, the Bible says this, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, 
They marveled, and they took knowledge of them, that they had been with Jesus. So in Acts 4.13, they see the boldness of them, and they acknowledge that they had been with Jesus Christ. In Acts 4.31, they pray for boldness, they get filled with the Spirit of God, and now they have boldness. You know what that tells me? Is any preacher who refuses to have boldness, if you ever listen to a preacher, and you know, you know, he believes something, and he's getting ready, he's just about to say something, and maybe a little controversial, maybe a little, you know, not politically correct, maybe a little, you know, just outside of norm, and you know he's getting ready to say, and then he holds back, and he has that lack of boldness, you know what that tells me about that preacher? Not spirit-filled. Hasn't been with Jesus. Because the one thing about a spirit-filled preacher is they're going to have boldness. And the one thing about a spirit-filled Christian is that they're going to have boldness. Notice there, they prayed and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And they all spake the Word of God with boldness. Not just the pastor, but all of them. So if you ever have this, you know, you say, I don't want to talk about Jesus that person, but I'm just a little scared. Well, you just identified that you're not filled with the Spirit. Say, so, well, how do I take care of that? Pray that God will give you boldness. That's what, that's what uh, we don't have time to look at it, but Paul... In Ephesians chapter number 6, he asked the Ephesians, Ephesians, he gave a prayer request, he he said, let me just read it for you, he said, and for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth with boldness. Paul said, hey, will you pray that I have boldness? The disciples there, they prayed that God would give them boldness, and when they had been with Jesus, when they were filled with the Spirit, they, the Bible says they they also had boldness. And praise the Lord for that, when you Christians are going to have boldness. So, you know, you say, "I, I, I like boldness. Well, just pray to God that God will give you boldness. And let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for our church, and thank you for uh, Acts chapter number 4, and uh, Lord, there's so much good stuff in Acts 4. Uh, 